Hello and welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast. I'm your host Ian Lobb and today I'm joined by special guest Pascal Orbison. Pascal is a very talented and brainiac uh, developer who I've known for a long time and currently working in VR and things like that um, for his studio LumaCode. How are you doing Pascal? I'm good thanks. Cool man. So let's well let's talk a little bit about how we met and stuff. So Pascal gave me yeah. my first job in the industry way back in 2001 when he was a very yeah. young man himself. <laughs> so you used to um, be the technical director of Special Moves? Yeah, that's right. And you founded that when you were quite young. How old were you guys? Um I think I was probably 20 two maybe i mean i had one year out of university after a four-year degree so yeah maybe maybe 23 or something doesn't that seem in retrospect really young to sort of be starting an agency and that sort of thing uh, yes it was. everyone was really young <laughs> back then like the industry is a lot more mature now it seems yeah i mean it was it was a time when i mean i, I think some of it was because we did a placement year and we worked in a proper company for a year and by the end of that were kind of employable people right uh, and so after spending another year in because a year um, a year of experience was like loads back then in the web industry yeah <laughs> that was like i mean the web was just starting then really yeah. and um there was lots to kind of learn and get interested in and not many other people had masses of experience either and certainly didn't know how to put things together well no so everyone was totally winging it yeah, so uh, you then you were at Special Moves for a long, long time. Yeah, uh, maybe, what, 14 years? That seems a very long time. Um, so, yeah, stopped at the end of 2013. Yeah, and now uh, doing your own stuff under the name LumaCode. So, I mean, do you want to talk a bit about some of the best projects from Special Moves, like the Osborne's thing that I worked on with you, for example, yeah. was a good one? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, that, the Osborne's project was probably the the project that got us first known, and um, as you know, uh, well back then uh, there was a reality TV show on MTV called The Osborne's, uh, and I happened to know someone who worked at MTV in the UK, and he phoned me up and said, uh, "We'd like to make The Sims with the Osborne's characters." Uh, and we've got a month to do it. Can you do it? And I said, yes, of course. <laughs> was it was <laughs> it really a month? The first wow. version was a month. That was a crazy um, month. And then, and I was, that was a very long month. <laughs> um, but then obviously we kind of added more stuff as we went along. So it was that was a kind of first initial release. But I mean, that hit the beginning, the launch of the show. Um, but then, I mean, it, the show went on for quite a few weeks, so we could add some updates after that. Yeah, it's crazy thinking back to that. Like, I'm thinking back, when it launched, it launched with, like, one set of art that James had done, and then all the yeah. art was completely replaced, like, a, yeah. a few weeks <laughs> in, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we just had to start with something and then kind of redo stuff as we were along. Yeah. I seem to remember a lot of tracing, manual tracing of hand-drawn artwork. Yeah, so the animator was Oscar Wright, who's Edgar yeah. Wright, the director's brother. And he's done yeah. loads of bits in in Edgar Wright's movies. And he supplied, I think it was like on tracing paper, just yeah. loads and loads of drawings, which we then scanned in. And then me and Steph in Flash just went and spent ages tracing them out and colouring them in. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite yeah. fun. It's a crazy workflow. And you were just going absolutely nuts, designing your own scripting language and uh, 
Yeah, we had to. Um, we wanted the characters to kind of um, uh, walk around with semi-autonomously, but also you could give them kind of commands to do. And so I wrote a little thing where you could say um, the character would just make him go to another room and then do something. So he went to the door, went to the next room, they went into the room, picked a random spot and then said something from a random list. And you could build built up lots of little scripts so um, uh, you can kind of make it seem a bit more kind of interesting. It worked pretty well. Yeah, it's cool. And that was a that was like flash artwork, I think, in director. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's funny. I remember not, it being a website, but it was was it a website? Or was it a downloadable thing? Uh, it was. You know, it was used Shotwave, so it was a right, Shotwave right. director player thing. Uh, yeah, and we did use Flash for the artwork. I don't know why. Maybe. Well, uh, it just seemed like a good way to do it. Yeah, I mean, director didn't uh, really have like an animation format, did it? So. I think actually we it would have been massive as well if it was all bit yeah yeah that's true uh, and back then people cared about file size <laughs> so <laughs> yeah cool and then you've done a, you did a whole load of I mean you too obviously in the, the too much stuff to talk about really at special movies because it, it was such a long time any other highlights yeah. that you want to talk about or not um, I mean I suppose one of the things that we, we ended up doing which took over the company towards the end. We made the website for Rolex.com. Rolex, the um, expensive watches. The expensive watch company. And um, th- that started off as, uh, again, at that point, I don't know, it was maybe 2009. Um, the kind of industry standard thing for a luxury brand was to have a full flash website right. and a full html website as well right um, <laughs> um for seo and all kinds of other accessibility reasons yeah um and so we built effectively a cms that allowed us to kind of dump out two versions and a massive flash website um and yeah we ended up kind of growing the company massively um but also kind of it, it was far too much really to take on for the size of company we were um, um but yeah we learned an awful lot doing that project mm. yeah when i was at when i was there i remember you were doing stuff with this uh digital artist called michael atavar oh yeah how what was that collaboration like how how did that all work um so i think that's came about through uh mike phillips right um who ran the course that we did at university and um he was an artist who wanted to do something um i can't remember remember what technology was i've got quite a good memory for stuff um so i remember once he he came in the office and you guys were like you had a leaf like a maple leaf in i think shockwave 3d Right. And he was going like, mm, can we make the leaf like fall? And you were like, okay, yeah. So you were like, <laughs> and you made the leaf fall. <laughs> and could it like, could it like flutter as it, as it fell down? And like, oh, yeah, I can make it spin around. There we go. And it was just, it was just quite funny. Like the, <laughs> I don't know. It's quite a funny working relationship with just having someone who's just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'd like a leaf. <laughs> right. Whereas when um, you're actually like, when you are yourself like the technical person and it's not amazing to have a leaf you'd never go yeah. i'm just going to make one leaf and it's going <laughs> to fall 
Um, I mean, yeah, it was. I, I think there was some interesting um, stuff he wanted to do, but he was he he had a very minimal aesthetic, and so kind of it was almost a, a case of. Uh, everything being as empty as possible with one or two things appearing. <laughs> and I was kind of like, yeah, we can make this particle system because this, this, and this. And it's like, no, no, I'd like one and then I'd like another one and then like a big gap and then I'd like one more after that. <laughs> and so it's very deliberate. Um, but I mean, I suppose I was kind of, I, I kind of knew where it was coming from. So uh, after a while, I could suggest, I could guess that he would probably want just. Um, a very minimal set and so we could do it much quicker and say well I'm not going to suggest anything there was actually around that time there was quite a lot of good like minimal like web art or digital art things like um, you know like Danny Brown stuff he would often just have one like one simple motif like a butterfly or something and you just have one of them on the screen and it was partly a technical limitation as well yeah Um, I mean at the time I had kind of 3D engine and things in Shockwave and wanted to do something with it but um, uh, I mean you, these days you would could do it on probably all in CSS or something I mean they, um, or WebGL but yeah it was kind of interesting to work with an artist with some something in mind um, and kind of try and realise that Cool so with your newer work I'm looking on your website and you've done some things with uh, lots of VR stuff and some things with quite interesting physical interfaces so you've yeah. got the skydiving stuff which has got a rig yeah. where you've got like it looks like a patio chair it's a it's a swing seat <laughs> yes that's uh, that was a swing seat. it looks like a swing seat and that's a, and so what tell me about that experience how does that work so uh this was something we built um back towards it it was uh the end of we built it actually at the end of special moves so it's kind of late 2013 and we had the DK1, Oculus DK1 at the time, and was trying to figure out something we could do with it. Um, and uh, the idea was that you would fly down over a city mm-hmm. and you would sit in a swing seat and we stuck an iPhone on the top and we kind of got that to send the, the gyro information to the computer so you could control yourself by kind of leaning left and right. Uh, and we did it for the Wired conference that was in London that year, right. and basically just had they had like a, a test lab with lots of new technology stuff, and they invited us to go in there. And I mean, Oculus and VR was very very new at that point, yeah. and we had a massive massive queue, and it went down very well. Um, yeah, and one of the things we learned from that actually is that uh, people's sense of uh, sense of being somewhere has quite a lot to do with where their feet are right uh, and and if you want it's quite hard to imagine that you're flying if your feet are touching a physical ground mm. um, but because we put them in a swing seat your feet were off the ground and it kind of meant that you didn't have that kind of bit of your body to rely on and yeah. so people got much, much more immersed than we were expecting actually and we stuck a fan in front of them as well and, and that, yeah so how much point. difference does the fan make quite a bit there's also sound which had some wind noise now, as well. was, so you kind of was the fan interactive or was it just constantly going no, no well i mean what we did i mean someone asked this um because we looked into kind of uh controllable fans right. through our you know interfaces and stuff and basically once they put the headset on we just turned it on and <laughs> <laughs> it, it did the job it was a kind of two or three minutes experience yeah. 
Um, and the other thing was actually it was quite useful to be able to, it was just a normal fan and you can turn it on, but uh, if uh, a woman went on who had a skirt on, right. uh, we made sure we turned it to just the lowest turned setting. Turned it up to max. <laughs> no. And then high five. Um, right? Yeah, just so, so we could protect their decency. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it did have a bit. These and then obviously, as they were turning it off, as they came off as well, and things like that. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, you got. It's interesting. So different considerations. So then, is that evolved into the Icarus? Or Ic- well, sort sort of. So I, I then, off the back of the Y conference, I took it to a conference in Germany, and some people there uh, had a go on it. Yep. And then I got a, a, an email. Um, from a few other people at the company a bit later on and they had um, one of their designers had come up with this idea of a kind of VR exercise system right and because these guys had just seen something kind of a bit similar they said well can you build something for us right Uh, and so it it was uh, a kind of interesting proposition and it started off very small and I knocked up a quick demo and did like a day's work and then a week's work and then a month's work and I, that's gradually kind of increased as things have gone along and they've turned it into an actual product now um, and kind of I'm building the software for that which is quite cool. Oh cool and so it's got a like a physical interface which is is it a hand glider simulator or is it something else? Um, well it it's not really designed to simulate anything in particular all that all that I, just apart from I'm flying. just going to describe the visuals for our listeners so yeah. it's it looks like someone on an invisible tron bike so if you imagine <laughs> sort of, your yeah. body in the position of a tron bike with that leaning super forwards thing but then they're on what looks like a sort of like a bit of ikea furniture or something <laughs> maybe uh so so i mean the the way it works is you kind of um you're resting on your forearms and your shins right um so you're kind of planking um but the the kind of the way it's designed you can rotate you can roll and you can tilt backwards and forwards right uh and there's a little sensor on the um on the handlebars with a gyro in it and we use that to work out the angle of it and so we can use it effectively as a joystick right um so the kind of initial environment we've got is uh, is like an island uh, with some mountains on it and you can fly around just by moving your body and there's some buttons on the controller as well so you can kind of increase your speed decrease your speed right and there's a fire button for one of the games where you have to shoot things but um and is it yeah. are you getting exercise while you're doing this you are very much getting exercise what what uh, muscles is it working well it, it depends a little bit on your kind of your current physical state right um but uh, it will definitely work core muscles lower back um if you some courses will be more designed to push your upper body strength so if you go down a lot you're physically pointing kind of I don't know, 30 degrees down it's kind of hard to really work your shoulders right uh and things like that so the idea is to kind of gradually build up a um, a, diff- a suite of different sorts of experiences that kind of do different things for your body. Awesome. Now, I've spoken previously on the podcast about the motion sickness that I got from playing some game, Oculus VR games. Yeah. W- what can you do to sort of counteract that? And d- does does having a rig, for example, where your body's off the ground, does that help? Like, um, so, I mean, there are a couple of different things. So for the Icarus thing, um, 
we've only got kind of anecdotal evidence, but the fact that you are physically moving sort of in time um, with what you're doing kind of helps a bit right because you're um, the the rig can tilt so your body's like tilting forwards and things yeah. as you move and and you and you're controlling it yourself yeah so if you want to go down you point yourself down right um rather than the um one of, more generally in vr the thing that kind of gets most people sick very quickly is where the kind of the the, the camera control is taken away from you yeah uh, or absolutely. it moves or, or there's acceleration or there's kind of it rotates you uh, and a lot of those things are fairly well known for VR developers now. But the thing and is, though, they're not. But they're not. They're not doing anything about it. Like, because well, I thought I are. thought this was really yeah. well known, and then I went yeah. to the um, the thing that I went to, which was the pocket game of VR mixer, and everyone's yeah. demos had some form of movement in them. Even ones yeah. where there was one where you could teleport around fine hmm. but one of the things you had to do to solve it was teleport yourself onto a carousel or like a, a ferris <laughs> wheel and then the ferris right. wheel took you around in a horrible circle so oh, no. it's like the so the only one that i've done that hasn't made me feel sick is um the 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 lab what is it called yeah on the valve's, valve's lab, yeah. lab on the htc vibe and yeah so i mean what's your general thoughts on like the hardware like i was more impressed with the vibe than versus the oculus um so i mean the vive hardware is very nice um the 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 main bit is that it's got the track controllers um and we, that isn't really available yet to the general public for oculus yeah um uh, but generally the system it comes with all, all the bits you need uh the cable's a bit thick and the headset isn't as comfortable as the oculus one um but overall, it's a. I think the Vive's a pretty good system. Right. Um, the Oculus CV1 is probably a nicer designed headset, although they've made various different um, design choices. Mm -hmm. uh, so their cable is very nice and thin and easy. Uh, they've got a different sort of tracking system, which doesn't allow you to go so far from where you're standing. Um, but at the moment they don't have the hand controllers and for me that's one of the most compelling things is being able to kind of manipulate things directly in 3D space Yeah, adds so much to the experience it does um, so we're just waiting for those to come out uh, and people have had very good reports have uh, said that the touch controllers are very good and they have a certain amount of capacitive touch on them as well so you can kind of tell whether you're touching a button or whether it's pushed in and things like that. Right. Um, but again, you, you can't buy it yet. So, and you just wait till they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. And so how, how like mass market do you imagine VR is going to be? Like, do you think it's going to be like just for special enthusiasts? Is it going to like, is it going to be gaming or is it going to be like a more non-gaming applications that end up being? I, I think it will probably be gaming applications that will be, the bigger end of it um i quite how many i think as of now the suggestions is maybe a hundred thousand vibes been sold right um and they keep selling them yeah um so but it's kind of early days and both oculus and uh 
HTC stroke valve messed up their launches <laughs> right by not um, having enough stuff available by not having them ready yeah uh, and what would be more interesting is when playstation vr launches in october i think yeah um they've had much longer to get ready mm-hmm. uh, and they should be able to kind of just deliver and everyone it'd be more of a proper launch where everyone gets it at the same time and there's a bit more of a buzz um and those people already have PlayStation 4s, and so the barrier to entry is a bit lower. Yeah. So I think quite a lot more, the, the amount of people with VR-capable equipment will suddenly jump up then. Um, but, I mean, developing for PlayStation 4 is a whole other thing, and so um, it will depend a bit on the quality of their launch games um, to, to see how bigger an impact it has. Yeah, yeah interesting. Mm. What things that that have you played that have sort of impressed you so far? Like what stood out for you? Um, I mean, there's well, one of one of the things um, is that there are lots of kind of demo experiences at the moment. So there aren't many things that are kind of a kind of wow product as an entire thing, but there are little pieces in various kind of uh, demos or kind of early access versions that um, seem quite interesting. Um, there's a there's a thing called Budget Cuts. Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a Vive room scale game and it's, it's very early days for them, but they've spent an, an awful lot of time polishing some of the interaction design elements in it. Right. And there are just some interesting things that they've done because they have physical controllers yeah. and they don't, and they can use more. Um, there's a very, very slick piece of kind of interaction design where you switch your, uh, you can swap uh, whether your hand is a, a gun or it's a teleport device. Right. And it's so fluid and slick. It's kind of one of those things that you just like doing. It's an action that you really <laughs> want to do physically. Right. Um, and you can see an awful lot of thoughts gone into that. And it'll be interesting to see when a kind of that sort of thing broadens out. And there's, there's, I think there's a lot of scope for very slick kind of experiences. Once people figure out they don't just need to put 2D UI planes in the world and have kind of laser pointers that click on them. Right. Um, there's a lot more scope for interesting things to be done. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Uh, what was I going to say? Another one that I thought looked good, but I haven't had a chance to play yet, is uh, Office Simulator. Is it? Have you tried that one? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it looks a bit like budget cards. I I get them confused. I think. Oh, you, there's one called Job, Job Simulator. Simulator. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's quite fun. I mean, a lot of these games are kind of have a, a slightly tongue-in-cheek kind of attitude, which. Um, helps sell the world a bit yes um and they've done some interesting uh they've had to work out various kind of ways of dealing with uh physics kind of working and they're not working right um so for example i think uh they spend a lot of time where you can pick up a tomato and you put it down and you can chop it right the thing is you put it down on the table but the table there isn't a real table so when you're physic the as you're dragging or holding the tomato yeah. or an object, as you're moving around the 3D space, it should track to where your controller is. Yeah. But as it touches the table, then theoretically it should stop. stop. Um, but you want your hand to kind of continue going. And so there's a lot of stuff to make that work seamlessly. So what um, does it do? Does it make the tomato pass through the table? 
No, no, because that would seem wrong and it would break the rules of the world. Right. Um, so um, I think so some games do it. I can't remember exactly what this one does, but some games uh, kind of go uh, as you drag through. It leaves the tomato where it's supposed to be, um, but your kind of hand or controller starts to kind of become visible or you see like a skeleton or ghost hand as you move it through things. <laughs> right. Um, to sort of show you like breaking that link. You're breaking the link, but you, you're still showing where your kind of hand yeah. is. And, uh, other thing, I think actually in they experimented with a few things and they kind of turn, They you have a physical hand in Job Simulator, like a glove, right? Um, but they, they turn it on and off. And actually when you pick up something, you, you don't see it anymore. And just little things that, um, uh, because you're holding something and it's moving with your hand, it seems you don't need your hand anymore because yeah. that would get in the way perhaps. Sure. Um, but then when you put it down, your hand then fades back in and stuff like that. So um, for me, there's lots of interesting kind of interaction design and UX things to kind of figure yeah. out. Yeah, it's all very new, um, isn't it? There's lot, it's all, all those problems are still to solve really, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. One thing I really did like on the, um, on the HTC was uh, there's a bit in the lab where there's a bow and arrow on the table. I don't know if I think yep. of this and you pick it up and you pull the string back and the controllers vibrate and it really does yeah. feel like you're like getting resistance yeah i know it's surprising i mean all that's happening is a little bit of haptic kind of <laughs> pulse on there um but it's done in a nice way and there are other things as well where um if you uh if you drag out it just in the kind of room set up part of um, the vibe when you draw out your space with a controller uh, every time you move a, a certain distance in space, there's a, like a little click, and so it's like you're kind of um, drawing a thing, and it kind of it feels more physical. Um, so yeah, there's. Um, so do you know Pascal? Do you know anything about how VR movies work? VR movies. What do you mean like by VR, VR movies? video? Like um, so, there's there's a couple of different sorts of what I would call 360 video. Right. Um, and so you can have very expensive camera rigs with lots of cameras on. Um, some do what's called monoscopic 360. Right, what's that? Which is more like your traditional panoramic video. Right. Um, and others try and do what's called stereoscopic uh, 360, right. um, which try to create some sort of um, difference between the eyes so you see there's some depth because so it's more 3d because to look properly 3d right you have to have you have to see the same scene from two different views roughly five yeah. inches apart right that's right and yeah and and that is complicated to do it's more complicated than you might think um to achieve yeah how would you even do that with cameras like uh, so what you end up doing is um you have a lot of cameras in a ring um and then you can create a sort of, do you know anything about light fields you can sort of create a bit of a, a very small light field and then in software you can kind of recreate what each eye should be seeing from all of the camera views right is a light field and like lots of the like 3d pixels floating around sort of i mean it's a bit complicated to explain <laughs> some things say they're light field things but aren't necessarily is that the same thing it. as there's a camera that can take photos and then you can change the focus of the photo afterwards yeah so that's definitely using light fields and that company Lightro, right uh have a vr camera right or they're bu they're building a vr camera 
um, but it is enormous and expensive. <laughs> right. And um, you have to, it comes with a flight case with about 50 hard drives in it um, because there's so much data that's spitting out. You have to kind of pull this thing along to record everything onto. So, I mean, for me, it's quite interesting, but I'm much more into the real-time 3D VR There's, stuff because um, you can just build it in Unity and it works in real sure time. so do you know YouTube have a they have a thing for 360 degree video yeah do you know what that is so what are they <laughs> because they, it are really they? impressed me because it was basically an ad I was just watching the YouTube app in bed and yeah. it was an ad and it was like you're at a party or something and there's like a girl talking to you and she's like hey come through here and I was like, oh, it's one of these ads where it's in first person or whatever. But then I realised that as I moved my phone around, I could actually like oh, yeah. look in the scene. Yeah. And then that was crazy. And then I was like going around, looking around my bedroom, and behind me I could see the whole thing. But and it was so, it was like really cool. Um, but I mean, obviously that's just dead simple stuff, actually. Well, 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 I mean, I think the YouTube one is fairly straightforward, and you can create um, pan- effectively panoramic videos. There. Um, of a kind of long, uh, what kind of wide rectangle, and you wrap that around a sphere, yeah, uh, and then it's playing back the video. Yeah. Now to create create that video in the first place, um, you need you need you can, you can use a little GoPro rig with about six or eight cameras on right. it, and then you have to stitch all that. But together I guess the more it. cameras you have, like the less distortion you're going to have, right? Yes, although there's more work in kind of. Um, kind of fixing stuff also you need to get the cameras in sync and sometimes with cheaper cameras it's harder to do that um and inevitably there's a lot of post work that needs to happen to kind of fix stuff up yeah um but um uh, interestingly actually facebook because they bought oculus have spent a bit more time on this right. um and they have a much more complicated uh system where they only they stream the bit you're looking at in higher resolution ah, okay uh, and then when you turn to look somewhere else um it you, it's in lower resolution but within a second they start streaming the higher resolution stuff there right. and so they can get higher quality uh, videos and people don't move around look around that much and it um it's kind of they have to split the video into this complicated set of parts which they can kind of separately encode and they've got a whole system for dealing with so that what now. would be like the use case for 360 video like live video um well i mean people are using online sporting events or for gigs but then like for, for a gig right the stage is always in front of you like there's only you don't need yeah. to look 360 directions no i know <laughs> i mean uh the, there's only so much i, I th- it's more um like to get a sense of being if it was perhaps. like a football thing for example you'd yeah. want to you'd want it to be attached to the head of one of the players for example or the referee <laughs> so that you can be on the field right I, I mean actually i think you could probably have one of those over the um you know the cameras there over a football field that kind of go up and down and move around oh, those are cool those could, are cool in themselves if you yeah because those are done using uh, two or like a set of ropes right yeah, and they pull them along. I mean, again, if actually, though, for a VR thing, you'd probably feel sick if you were kind <laughs> you of viewing the stream of that. You'd feel very bad. <laughs> um, but that could position in a certain place, and then you could watch it there. Mm. Um, and uh, for, for other gigs, I've seen people do things where instead of 
being in the front row, you're actually on, on the stage, the stage like, that would in, work. in between the drummer and the guitarist yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. Um, but I mean, after a while, that gets a bit boring because they're just kind of <laughs> they're just they're doing their thing. Um, I mean, as a piece of content, it's got to be interesting anyway. Yeah. And there, there are some nice animated um, things though I've seen in um, in three sixty video. Yeah. So kind of more computer animated films. Mm. So it's much easier to produce the end result. Yeah. Um, and and you there you can then look around a bit and there can be some nice things behind you. Yeah. But then at that point, should you do you actually want it to be real time where you can interact with the world? And well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, some people might want to, um, but that opens a can of worms of kind of interactive narratives, which uh, people haven't really kind of come to grips yet. Uh, and people are trying again on that sort of thing as they did many years ago. <laughs> the holodeck returns. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think people, basically, there'll be some sort of moving together of games and interactive things. There was a, there's a quite a nice demo, which is sort of, uh, I mean, it's, in some ways it's very old school, um, it's called the Abbott's Book Demo on the Vive. Uh, and it's a kind of interactive narrative thing where you're standing um, somewhere quite dark and there's this creepy monk figure and he chats to you <laughs> and you have some options about how you respond. You know, do you respond angrily or um, do you kind of just ignore him? And you kind of go through a series of kind of scripted little episodes. So it's kind of a story, um, but you can look around and it's fairly creepy um, because every time you kind of move on, uh, this guy's kind of standing behind you. Right. <laughs> you look around and he's just staring. Um, but, and there's a jump scare at the end, which is a bit unnecessary. But I mean, it's a demo for the, uh, it's a demo for a, a bigger kind of story. Um, but that was one of the things that I've seen actually that's, I mean, it has all kinds of issues with it. But I mean, it's one of the things that's demonstrated that you could do a quite nice interactive narrative based thing in vr mm. and then um, and then what about like multi-user things well multi-user is um quite interesting as well and quite a lot of the stuff i'm doing at the moment involves multi-user um and one of the things is it's quite satisfying to actually see uh well a, to play with somebody but b to kind of see them in the yeah. world and usually, I mean, for the thing I'm working on, we're just showing a headset and some controllers, uh, all the things that they're holding. Mm. Um, but even that, um, you get a sense of th that person being there. Yeah. And also, if you've got some uh, voiceover IP as well, you, you kind of feel like you are together in a place. Uh, and that's a much deeper experience yeah. than multi-user just on 2D screens. Yeah. Um, you felt like you've been there together and done whatever it is you're going to do. Yeah, you see, that would be great for, you know, I guess the, um, Facebook are sort of, you know, hoping that or or experimenting to see whether this could be like another thing, like a FaceTime or like, like that sort of thing, right, as a way of people getting together. Yeah, no, I mean, they're definitely doing a lot of research in that sort of area. And... Ultimately, I mean, they they have quite a nice demo called Toybox, which uses their hand controllers, and uh, two people can play in a like physics sandbox uh, world. And um, th th there's definitely s some stuff to be had there. But I mean, also in more general business, um, 
I think the the vibe maybe the Oculus, but will do quite well where um, companies who have offices in different parts of the world or physically difficult to get to um, can kind of communicate, and it's it's a lot better than a, a conference call. But will people uh, though? But, is it though? Um, I think it is. I mean, it obviously depends on whether you need to actually look at something. So, for example, uh, if you're an architect or an engineer or a design firm, you could have a 3D rendering, um, a, a 3D model of the thing you're having to talk about. Yeah. It's a new car or a building or a room. And you can physically walk around and you can draw notes in 3D space and say, well, actually, this bit should be different colour here. and Why don't we do this? Uh, I think multi-user collaboration in that sort of um, environment could be quite interesting and I think a lot of those companies are kind of trying things out to see whether they would save the money or whether they'd get better collaboration from doing that. Mm. With this sort of stuff like at the period we're in the period now where it feels like sci-fi-ish yeah. and that for me is always the hardest part because I have very little imagination like I'm always <laughs> really sceptical of things at this stage and then yeah. at a certain point it flips over and it becomes mundane and at that point right. that's the thing where it's really worked like so one I'm noticing at the moment is like live video so like mm. it's become mundane to suddenly now you could be on Twitter and then suddenly yeah. you're like watching live at like a, a protest in Louisiana or something or like yeah I know. and it's like it's crazy that's just or you're or like a party somewhere or like and it's so nuts that it's we're su- that's just happened like in a really such a short space of time for that to be the most sci-fi thing that I could have imagined when I was a kid it's like yeah everyone's got their own TV station we just carry them well, yeah, around with us all the time yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, for that to just be like yeah that's just normal now in fact in fact it's it's a require it's necessary yeah <laughs> can't take it away now it's a human right we've got, we've got it I mean well I mean the, the impact you know it looks like it's going to be amazing in terms of like holding authorities and the police to account for like things they do wrong and things like that right yeah no i think i think it's definitely a good thing um and i i I can't see people not that not being a thing anymore um it may cost more money at some point i don't know or maybe um if the the services can't survive and have to put ads all over it or something i don't know but even so just the the kind of yeah, yeah the, this protest is brought to you by um but yeah i i i on in the kind of vr area that i don't think we're kind of there yet uh and i think it'll be interesting to see what the general public likes doing mm. um i've got a feeling that well the thing that i find most um compelling is manipulating the the space that you're in right and so some some um yeah, i mean have you, have you seen the fantastic contraption vr demos they've got because um, they're doing loads of stuff where they're do you mean the stuff they're doing with like mixed reality where they're the the, the, the mixed reality was just a, a way for them to demonstrate how cool they're right was. I mean, that's just a promotional technique. Right. Um, but the the actual thing itself is surprisingly uh, fun to do because you can kind of stretch things and um, kind of position things and join things together. Yeah. And that's just something that would be insanely complicated or fiddly 
with a kind of a console or even with a mouse it, it wouldn't be quite so easy and um, uh, fluid to do that mm. sort of thing and when you can kind of uh, there's another guy who's made a kind of voxel sculpting tool and there's people making 3d modeling applications uh, and another thing i've worked on as well was a kind of animation tool and being able to just directly manipulate such kind of 3d objects in the world with your hands yeah. and then just walk around and look at them from another angle yeah i mean i'm not a skeptical lot, a at all of the controllers i think they're amazing yeah um like i sort of feel like i'd rather have like a, a sort of two meter by two meter screen and right. the controllers <laughs> rather than wearing a headset I, I know what you mean, but actually, um, when you're dealing with 3D objects, um, th there's a lot of interface that can just go away if you can just yeah. walk around and look sure, behind it. yeah, that's true. Um, or you can just grab it with your hand and spin it around. Yeah. Um, and just stretch things to scale and stuff like that. So um, I think you do need the headset. They'll, they'll get better. Because there's sure. a thing called Track IR, isn't there? I don't know if you, have you heard of that? No, so what that, that does is it um, it uses your eyes as right. a like camera control for a, for a normal screen. Oh, actually, I think my, I might have tried something. On so basically, signs, yeah. if you look in the middle of the screen, the camera yeah. in the game is looking forwards. But if you look like a small amount, like say ten degrees to the left of the screen, or, or like not the center of the screen, like like say yeah. the towards one edge of the screen it will actually rotate the camera by an exaggerated amount so yeah i tried those things and I, I didn't think that was that easy to kind of use or didn't work that well um but the one i did try a game um that had some integration with that um and um it was where you it was kind of an, uh, it predicted where you wanted to aim based on where you were looking right um, so um, you, your, your kind of view was pointing at a car, but say there was a sniper appeared on a building, right. you would look up there, and when you pressed the kind of trigger, it had locked on to where you were Interesting. Looking. And that wasn't a VR uh, game, what that was? No, no, that was just on a, was on a PC. Uh, and that was surprisingly good, and you could think, actually, this is really, really helpful. It's an extra bit uh, of data, isn't it, in terms of yeah. what you can use? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and people are developing kind of um, uh, eye tracking stuff for VR headsets as well. Um, but I think the focus on that is more to reduce the bandwidth uh, than necessarily using it for other things. So <coughs> if if you if you know where people are looking within the headset, then you don't necessarily need to render so much in the kind of other corner, as no, it were, yeah. um, and stuff like that. But um, it, it potentially would add things, but. I mean, I, I'm fairly sold on VR being an interesting technology, quite whether people want to pay for it and uh, have it in their homes and enough people make enough content for it for it to kind of survive. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. <laughs> Let's hope so. Keeps yeah. the Unity developers in a job. So, yeah, yeah. So at the moment, you're, I mean, because you're someone who can turn their hand to pretty much any technology, aren't you? But yep. at the moment, focusing on <laughs> Unity or... Yeah, yeah. so I'm doing pretty much all the stuff in Unity at the moment just because, well, I've been using it forever and um, I can do stuff pretty fast in it. I quite like it. I've dabbled a little bit in Unreal Engine 4 uh, and that has some nice aspects to it. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it wasn't the kind of... 
there, there are enough downsides not to use it for the projects that I What would you say are the pros and cons of Unreal? Because it's not really something I've ever used. Um, well, one of the things is that it depends on the team you're working with. So if you're working with a group of people who are more used to kind of visual effects or that sort of thing, or using kind of node-based systems to create things, then their shader system works really well for them, and so they can create great-looking stuff. Uh, it's very much a, a game engine, so if you're making something as a game, then it's going to work well for you, but if you're making something that's not really a game but using a game engine, you, you start to kind of push up against kind of some things that just haven't been considered, whereas Unity is much more of a more general-purpose 3D engine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the the thing that puts some people off Unreal is that um, you have a choice between using Blueprints, which is their node-based uh, scripting language, or using C++. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've tried both. And to be honest, unless you're doing any hardcore processing stuff, you really should be using Blueprints. Right. Um, because the iteration time is much closer to what you get in Unity. So you try something, you press play, you see whether it works. Whereas if you're doing stuff for C++, you've got to compile so much and it takes so much longer and it's frustrating just to kind of tweak stuff like that. And does Blueprint um, give you everything that you need? Most stuff. Um, they've got lots of little kind of blocks that you can put and together. And are you literally you do... dragging and dropping though? Yeah. What, it's isn't just, that, you... it doesn't that like, isn't that not good, not fun for a programmer? Well, the thing is, I mean, I mean uh, when I first started using it, I went, I did the C++ side of it, and um, I got a bit frustrated by the speed of that, and thought, okay, for the next thing, I'll try the blueprints. And I never thought I would l- be kind of keen on a visual scripting language. But by the end of it, it was actually quite good. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I hadn't used anything along those lines since maybe kind of authorware back <laughs> in the day. Um, but actually... Uh, one of the things that is beneficial is that you see the complexity of what you're doing visually. Yeah. And actually, in if you've got a big class with lots of complicated conditions, it's hard to kind of visualize the sequence of events, whereas the blueprint thing has a nice thing where it kind of highlights the paths that are being kind of traveled, as it were, through the code. And you can kind of more visually see what's going on. Interesting. I mean, you, know, you can get into a mess, obviously, uh, but then you can kind of group things. and I mean, it's, it won't be to a lot of people's tastes. Uh, I know people who just wouldn't, would never touch a mill because of that. Um, but it does, it, it does have some advantages. But, I mean, you need to kind of get into it and have a bit of an open mindset before going in. Um, but then you can start to knot stuff together and you have to figure out how to do the normal programming type things of encapsulating stuff and not repeating things um, but there are ways to do all of that it just takes a, a bit of thought mm, interesting oh, that's, that's, that's interesting um, yeah because what I like about Unity is like it's it's quite a nice middle ground between something that's like quite technical where you want it to be but then it's also quite easy for, yeah. for a lot of things yeah I mean I, I, I think um, another kind of advanced edition advantages for specifically for VR stuff is that while um, uh, Unreal looks j- j- out of the box things look great 
um, out of the box, it won't run at 90 frames a second. Right. Uh, and so you have to kind of start turning things off uh, before you even get started. Uh, right. Whereas in Unity, you just put a box on a plane and press go and it's running at 90 frames a second. And then you can add to it. And I much prefer kind of building up to my frame rate limit rather than starting already breaking it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and having to start chopping stuff away. Uh, but again, that's because they come from a kind of game background. And it's good. I don't know. Have you seen that? There's someone, and I'm not. I'm doing that thing where we talk about stuff on the podcast where I I can't actually give the name. But someone's making <laughs> this game where it's like you're a cat walking around a city, oh, and right. it is, it's yeah. done in Unreal. And the the city just looks so amazing. Like there's something yeah. about the way that Unreal renders that's just like stupidly good looking. Yeah, I mean, it's got. They spent a lot of time making all of the post processing effects look great. Uh, they've got their own anti-aliasing kind of the way they do that. Um, it's a deferred renderer, so that has some pros and cons, which aren't necessarily that great for VR. Um, but um, obviously, some people are having great results with it. So um, a lot of it is down to the, the post effects, I think, and people can do similar sort of things in Unity too. And if you saw the um, Unity's adam demo that they put out at the last conference mm. that looked pretty cool too um so it's just i don't know it's it's easier to achieve that sort of visual style i think in unreal um you have to put a bit more in to get that in unity but you can get sort of close to it yeah cool well anything you want to plug before we we head off uh no <laughs> uh, i'm working on a VR game for the Vive, but that is completely unannounced. So I'm doing that with a couple of people I know. But uh, when that comes out, people hope. Well, if they if it. they can follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? Yes, uh, you can follow either me personally, uh, P Oberson, uh, or Lumacode. Search for those. Do two you want to spell that out? It's L. Uh, so L U M A C O D E, uh, or my personal ones P A U. there we go awesome pascal thanks so much um yeah and this has been the creative coding this has been the creative coding podcast bye-bye you can say bye-bye pascal bye-bye you've been listening to the creative coding podcast if you'd like to support the show please do head over to patreon.com slash creative coding 